It's time for Mac Geek Gab, and listener Jamie brings us our quick tip of the week by sharing that we can name or rename group chats in the Messages app. On the iPhone, you tap the top of the group chat, you'll see a contact card for the group where you can change the name, you can even assign it a picture, you can assign it a custom logo or one of Apple's defaults. You can also do this on the Mac or the iPad. These changes flow through and are seen by all members of the group. So it becomes kind of a thing where you can create one for work or you can create one for, uh, you know, your family and different groups of your family and all those things. More quick tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 1017 for Monday, January 8th. 2024. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in tips like that, and you send in cool stuff found, you send in your questions. We try to answer your questions. We share your cool stuff found in your tips. We share some questions and cool stuff found of our own. We mix it all together into an agenda so that each of us has a fantastic opportunity to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. This is CES week, which means our sponsors for this week are our CES 2024 coverage and travel sponsors. That includes Collide at KOLIDE.com slash MGG, Mac Updater at CoreCode.io slash MGG, and CarbonCopyCloner.com slash MGG, where you can go and get 15% off CCC with code MGGCES24. We will spend a minute uh, for each of them a little bit later in the show, talking a little bit more in depth to thank them for their sponsorship of the episode and CES and all that good stuff for now, uh, before jetting off to Las Vegas in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton in South Dakota. I'm Adam Christensen. And also in New Hampshire, it's pilot Pete where it may be cold, but at least it's windy. Greetings, gents. Yeah, it's cold. It's windy. <laughs> and we are recording this as usual on Friday before. So we're on the, it's the fifth for us. And, uh, and Pete and I are hoping that the snow that's due to hit new England hits just after we leave the ground <laughs> tomorrow evening. So yeah. exactly. I hope the same for you guys. Yeah. That's not fun. No, it's like, I, and the only other easy alternative is a flight at like 7.30 a.m., which means leaving the house at 1 a.m. Pacific time, because I will be going to sleep on Pacific time on Saturday right. night, right? <laughs> so I always think of it that way. And that's actually one of those, one of my little travel hacks is the day I am leaving, I wake up and think of myself on the time that I will end the day at. And I do the same uh, coming home. If I, you know, like on Thursday, when we fly back from CES, Pete, I think of that as waking, you know, as waking up on Eastern time that day. And it, 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 I, I find it helps frame my brain a little better. I don't know. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably shifts you a little bit, better, a little bit. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Just like, okay, well, it's much better to say that I have a 10 a.m. Eastern flight uh, leaving the West Coast than a 7 a.m. Pacific flight. You see, there you go. Because <laughs> I would happily take a 10 a.m. Eastern flight tomorrow morning, but taking a you know 7 a.m. 
It, it just makes for I've just found that starting a trade show by waking up in the middle of the night to catch a flight I, always kind of hurts me. It'll make for a long week. Yeah. It makes for a long yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I think the timing will work yeah. out well on this one. I have lost a few races against Nor'easters trying to sure. get to work over the years. And uh, the worst one was April Fool's Day of 96. I spent 30 hours in the ramp office at work. Mm. Trapped. Yeah. <laughs> every every plan I came up with fell through. And I wound up starting my trip two days late. Fortunately, I, they had me cold, dead to rights on that one. And they were like, yeah, get get out there to Anchorage, catch your trip, and you can finish it. So, yep. Whereas they could have pulled me off without pay. They oh, that, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. You, you had so, to But they didn't have to, to burn a 10-day reserve when they did that. So, right. I was able to go and, and, and fly my trip, which was right. good. But then Continental Airlines lost my luggage. So, I was oh. around Asia for four days <laughs> <laughs> buying skivvies at every stop. Good. Yeah. 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 There's, there was no way that Continental was going to get you your luggage after you had flown another plane out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that sucks. And yeah. no air tags in those days to know where your luggage was. No, not even close. Like I, yeah. I, I know when I share quick tips that there's it's new to someone. This is one of these that I feel like every travel should be would be evident to many travelers. But if mm. you haven't put an air tag in your luggage, I I put air tags in everything. I put it even in my carry on bag. Like why not? Y- Absolutely. You know. But certainly in your checked luggage. Uh, th- there are just countless stories that you can read all over the internet. And I can share too. Like when my daughter flew back from Canada a year and a half ago, uh, she was pretty convinced that, like there was a quick connection or something in Montreal yeah. that she had to do. And uh, she was pretty sure her luggage wouldn't make it. And so she goes to get in line, you know, to, to like register a claim so that they can drive the luggage to our house the next day or that night, What you know, whenever it finally yeah. arrives. And they were like, well, you have to wait until all the bags are on the carousel before you can file a claim. And I said to her, I'm like, it's like, show them your AirTag thing. And so she did. And they're like, oh, you have a tracker in there? And it's like, yeah. And they were like, great, we can start your claim now. And by the time we had finished filling out her claim and the lu- the, the luggage had finished coming off the rack, there was a line of 25 people at this right. at the gate. So it really it did save us quite a bit because we were able to just, well, screw it, get in the car, go home, wait for them to show up with the luggage. Right. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, it's handy to know. It's handy to know. So. Uh, ben has a, a quick tip that is bizarre in Sonoma to help with Time Machine not backing up, Ben says, I use Time Machine Editor to control the frequency of my Time Machine backups on my Mac. So that's a cool stuff found uh, that we've mentioned on the show many times. Uh, upon upgrading to Sonoma, I was finding that the backups would not automatically run some of the time, especially if I was away from my Mac and the screen was asleep. asleep. I found my way to an article on Mac Observer. Uh, that explains some things that can be done to fix this. And the one, and we'll, we'll link to this TMO article 
uh, here, I assume they still call it TMO. You know, it's weird for me reading the Mac Observer and yeah. not recognizing the name of an author, yeah. let yeah. alone the article. Wait, I didn't write published. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's been written in the last two years. So, like, yeah. it's I had, had yeah. nothing to do with it. But it's still weird if, for yeah. those of you who are wondering. Uh, but uh, one of the the bits of advice in this in this article, which worked for Ben was excluding find my data and there, and there's you know it, it the article articulates which files to put in the time machine exclusion and that did it what a weird thing to and it it must be that this file remains open by some agent on the system i mean i don't adam do you have any like speculation as to why time machine would bork mm-hmm. No, but I mean, that's that's really interesting. I know one thing that I, I've always done with my time machines is I always just exclude like all of my system files. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I know I have other backups of those. And plus, you know, if I'm that borked, I'm going to be reinstalling the operating system anyway. So like all that stuff's going to come back, you know, like, yeah, standard system files. And I'm assuming that's where those are. I don't I don't didn't look at this to see exactly where those are. But I believe Just as so. A, as yeah, a me... rule, because I have I have CCC or I have other bootable backups, you know, that are going to have all my system files. So I just figure I don't need them in Time Machine. So, yeah, these are it, the the exclusion is and no, it's actually in your home library containers, and then there is a com dot apple dot find my folder. So th- that those are the things. If I exclude lib, I'd have to go. I'd have to go look at my Time Machine settings, but. I might exclude the, my home library folder too. Like anything like system low level related, yeah. I think I tend to just have always excluded. So I've never run into issues, uh, but that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Is it, is it the kind of thing where I think your theory makes sense in my opinion is if like, it's got something open at that time, maybe that's blocking the scheduled thing from running, but that would seem weird a little bit. It like, seems I wouldn't weird. Think be intentional. It wouldn't be intentional. I don't think. Yeah. I would be I, just to revisit your um, blocking of the home library folder. I certainly do that if 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 you like folks, but take a look in there and understand what you're excluding, because I'm pretty sure Apple Mail still stores your mail data, not just its preferences in the home library folder. It does. And I think by default, like things like Thunderbird and even Safari have some, there's a lot of your user preferences and, and even data, like your mail data is stored in there. So just take a look and make sure you, you know what you're excluding. And then, and by all means, if yeah, and I, I don't do the live, I don't do home library stuff. I do. Got it. It's just system system. Li- you know, yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. Yes. But that I, I, that I, I'll buy. Time machine might not even, I'm trying to remember if time machine by default backs up the, like the core system stuff. But yeah, you think can it go does. selectively, selectively exclude. There, there might be things in there you want to selectively exclude, but yeah, I would not, not the whole library folder. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or the whole, or definitely not your home folder. And not, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, you <laughs> kind of want to lean in on that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Our next quick tip comes from Jim, who says, when opening a Safari or PDF expert document window, the tabs from the last time I had the app open would load not what i want internet searching yielded nothing but poking around in system settings did under system settings desktop and dock windows 
I was able to check the box, close windows when quitting an application, and that fixed it. I have no idea how this setting was uh, the opposite. I think the opposite is the default of, it of is. this. Yeah, so that yeah. when you open a, a window, everything just comes back. I kind of like it, but again, personal preference. It's just my workflow. I trust that it's going to be there, and I'm actually kind of you know, thrown off when it's like, wait, that app didn't return to its previous state. Oh no, what, what did I have open? So uh, <laughs> it's funny. I'm the, I'm the exact opposite. When they added this feature years and years and years ago, I mean, it's been that way for, yeah, like, it's for a while. How long? Yeah. I immediately flipped it around because that's what I was used to. Like, yes. That's how my Mac worked. And now you've changed it. And I'm also kind of, I like a fresh start when I open an app, you know, I don't want, the thing I was working on, you know, I closed that window or I quit the app. I, I, I'm expecting it to come up. Yes. Fresh, clean desktop for me to start working in whatever app, Photoshop or. Yeah, sure. My code editor, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I remember, I remember the change because BB edit had this functionality before Apple added it to the system. And I so, I, so therefore that was the first app where I came to rely on it. It was like, this is great. Cause I can quit BB edit and relaunch it. And it's exactly as I left it. And that's what I want. If I have to reboot, you know, there's all of those times where it was like, well, I don't want to reboot. Cause I don't want to lose like my, my, the, the, the state of things, you know? And, uh, yeah. so when, when it was an option to do that in other apps as provided by the system, I embraced it, but I already kind of had it in my workflow. So I totally get if you didn't have that in your workflow, why you would absolutely like push it away. And remember, you can one off change this on a per app basis by using your option key when you're quitting. So do an option quit or option go to the menu and select quit and it will toggle. So if you have it set to Always keep windows open, and just for that one time, you want to make sure all the windows close. Just hold down your option key. Oh, and for like for you having this disabled or what, whatever, you have the opposite setting. The opposite, for me. Yeah. If, if it the quit option with the option key, it toggles it back and forth between them. Yeah, so if I hold down option, it'll say quit and keep windows. Oh. Whereas I think if you have it the other way, it'll say quit and close all windows or That's something. That's exactly like that. what, it what it says. Here, you are correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at see the bonus little tips. This is why we do ding, this ding, show. Ding, ding. Yeah, I had no idea. That's great because there are times when I want that, that fresh start. And yeah, all right. And I think now I'm now I'm 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 out of bounds here. But I think if you launch an app with the option key down or there's there's some way to get it to not inherit its prior state. Is that the shift key down? Someone at feedback at MacGeekUp.com will let us know. I know that I have recollections that there was a way to do this and just say, because when Apple introduced this feature, there were then the scenarios where somebody would be in pages, it would crash. They would relaunch pages. It would open the document that caused it to crash and it would crash. And so there needed to be a way of saying, no, 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 just open like you were doing it fresh. Right. And so I think that's there. I can't test that right now because uh, I got this thing I'm doing. But um, yep. <laughs> yeah. But 
I think that's a thing. So hopefully somebody either in the Discord chat real time while we're doing the show or certainly feedback at MacGeekab.com. And that goes for anything. Uh, you know, if you've got other quick tips or questions or cool stuff found, that's where you send them. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Yep. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. <laughs> Scott says, I just created a Safari web app for ForeFlight, one of the apps you use in your plane, Pete. I, I watched yeah. you use it. Yeah. That's a great. It is a great app. Thing. I agree. Yeah. Uh, he says, <laughs> unlike the rest of the apps residing in the dock, I couldn't just click and grab it to move. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Instead, inspired by the dialogue in a recent episode about trying various modifier keys to see what they do, seems like this is a recurring theme. Uh, <laughs> I option clicked to grab and hold the app in the dock to move for flight to a different spot. That's interesting because I have created many web apps and have had no trouble moving them. But if you create one and you have trouble moving it, that uh, is it. Scott goes on to, to share. And I, I would agree that these web apps seem to just work. They start with the site as it was when I created it and then allow me to navigate within the web as normal. He says, uh, and what's great is when I click a link in it, it opens it in regular Safari. So it doesn't try to do things. I, I, I have found the same thing. This is one of those features that the new Safari web apps are save to dock or whatever the feature is. But it's in the file. Menu. You get to a website in the file menu. You choose uh, uh, the, the add to dock and then uh, it will put it in the dock and then you just use it as an app. It's it's great. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you for that, Scott. Nice, nice. tip. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still curious as to why his wouldn't move, but um, right. Yeah, it doesn't. It's odd. I wonder. No, that wouldn't be it. I was thinking. I, so I'll, I'll share my thought process. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if Scott uses a non-admin account as his primary, like, daily oh, driver user. Yeah, and right. If okay. That's a difference. I don't know. But if that were the case, the option, but where I, why I dismissed it yeah, before sharing it. Because the option key. The option work. key doesn't just magically make you an admin. Like, <laughs> you're an admin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an admin and you're an admin. You know, no. Like, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say, Adam? You had, you were. Just something pithy. I was going to say, remember when Steve thought we only needed web apps? On the iPhone. Yeah. I said, we've really come full circle. Here we are happy about these stupid things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I yeah, like that. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good times. Yep. He was wrong on that. He was wrong. He, he was very deep. wrong. But I see, I don't. One of the few times. <laughs> I don't think well. he believed that we didn't need web apps because if he believed that, then there would have been no native apps on the phone. There would not have been mail. There would not have been Safari. Right. I mean, well, I guess you right. have to have Safari, but like there were native apps on the phone they, they, yes. or they just weren't a, a open for third parties to make. And so Correct. I, I don't think he believed that we didn't need apps. I think he believed he didn't trust anybody else to write them responsibly. Correct. Yeah. Which is why we have the app store and all those other things that came afterwards. The, the right? sandboxing. That was the, that was the solution. Correct. Yeah. And, and we're all better off for it. I mean, honestly, it pushed the engineering teams to figure out an, a way to make that stuff available. And there were a lot of bumps along the road. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody will discount that. And there still are bumps. Yeah. Well, there's but, plenty ahead too with it. I mean, isn't there a big yeah. lawsuit in, in Europe over uh third party stores, like a, th- a third mm-hmm. store company. Yep. Yeah. Which and then now the security issues all become yeah. back it, to the front. Yeah. You know, Fair. Yeah. With, property yeah. Without Apple gatekeeping and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. We've been around long enough to remember the days when, you know, you had all kinds of conflicts and crashing things and stuff like that. And, you know, it still happens, but in this day and age, a lot less frequent. Yes. You ask me from what I remember. I'll be curious to see, because this still happens on the Android side. Like if you sideload apps that are not, you know, vetted and approved and, and policed by, by the Google Play Store, you can get yourself into a scenario where you're burning your battery, you know, three times as fast as you normally would with, with, you know, responsible right. apps and, and you can get things to crash just like, like I could on my Palm trio. Right. Like, so sure. I, I get where Steve, Steve's and logic. You could probably from. be sending your data all over the planet too to everybody and anybody who wants it. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see that the, the nice part is even if Apple and I think they will be, even if they're forced to open up the, you know, third-party apps sure. to be installed outside of Apple's App Store. It doesn't force users to do that. It just allows users. It doesn't shut right. down the App Store, right? So right. I, I think the majority of people will simply keep doing what they're currently doing. Yeah, I would. I guess I would liken it to jailbreaking in the it, early days. It is, you know. Yeah, it's you know. Yeah, well, yeah. So you do it. Do it. Do it. Knowing the risks that uh, you have. That's and you, have you know some security barriers. You know, Apple's going to make you just like they do on the Mac. You you have to yeah. go into settings and and tell it no. I'm going to allow apps that don't come from the App Store. Right. 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 I, yeah. We've all done that. I, I think uh, so. It we take it for granted that we've enabled that setting but that's not the default like you have to go and do yeah, that. very good point yeah, yeah. so I my mean, guess is it'll be the same on the phone and it's, you'll choose whether or not you want to suffer the consequences and then we'll get a whole lot more questions about it here on the show and uh, we'll have to do this for another 20 years so there you go yep it's not a bad thing i kind of enjoy it i'll be here if you will <laughs> same yeah exactly i got nothing else to do so, I mean, actually, that's not true. I have a million other things to do. This is one of my favorite things. So, so go. I'm going to keep doing this. Uh, one last quick tip comes from Ben, who reminds us that if you've scrolled up a ways in your photos library and want to jump back to the bottom, a.k.a. most recent photo, simply tap the word library. A good quick tip. I love all these quick tips. Send them in. Feedback at MackieCab.com. All right. As you know, this is CES week, and I want to take a second to thank each of our CES sponsors right now. I want to thank CCC Backup from Bombic. We've known this as Carbon Copy Cloner, and that's still what CCC stands for. But CCC is more than just a cloning tool. It's an advanced backup and file copying application for our Macs. If you're looking for something better than Time Machine, well, with just a few clicks, you can set up CCC to make hourly or daily backups of your Mac. It can build extensive file version history that you can use to restore older versions of files and files that you might have accidentally deleted. 
And CCC's read-only snapshots also give you excellent protection against malware and ransomware. CCC's backups are compatible with Migration Assistant, too, so you can use them to migrate data to a new Mac. And beyond those backup basics, CCC offers extensive auditing and verification. Have you ever wondered what all of that disk activity was? Have some application run amok? Well, the list of files that change in each backup event give you unprecedented insight into what's changing on your Mac each day. You need to copy the entire content of one volume to another? Boom! CCC can do that in just a few clicks. And that's just a little peek at what CCC can do. You can go and download CCC today to start your 30-day free trial. And then... Go to carboncopycloner.com slash MGG and use code MGGCES24. We'll put this in the show notes at MacKeekev so you don't have to remember, but it's MGGCES24 to get 15% off amazing stuff. And our thanks to CCC and the folks at Bombic Software for sponsoring all our CES coverage this week. Want to take us to, uh, to Rich there, Adam? Yeah, Rich has a travel question and he knows where to turn to. He's says, I know Pilot Pete, you travel quite a bit. He's hoping you can help him out. He says his daughter and him are going to be traveling a lot this year, and he wanted to get her one of those MagSafe chargers that are like the all-in-one where you can charge your watch, your phone, your AirPods, all in a single thing with one USB cable. Be great if it folded up, he says, and he was looking at Amazon, seeing brands like Mophie, Anker, websites. He didn't see anything with really great reviews, so he's looking for a recommendation. He says, should I do that or should I just get a set of extra cables like traveling cables and chargers that she can keep separate from her home cables so she always has them for traveling um, and uh, doesn't forget to pack them. So he wants to know, do you have some suggestions for him? I don't know why he thinks I travel a lot. I, I haven't been anywhere <laughs> this year. <laughs> but it is only the fifth. So, yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, I have to have an somewhat of an apology to everybody because I had a cool stuff found several weeks back, an R-Tops Qi charger that folded. And I found it, I, I like it to charge the Apple Watch and I like it to charge my AirPods and I found it less than 100% reliable to charge my phone. I've put it on the charger, wake up in the morning and it's mag safe, so it's not like it's misaligned and the phone is up, you know, 3%. You know, went to went to bed with 44%, wake up, it's 47%. Going, really? Come on. Yeah. No, I'm host. Yeah. So that was a little frustrating. That was the RTOPS charger that I mentioned is a cool stuff found several weeks back. Um, the the quick answer to, uh, to, to your question, Rich, is tr- uh, cables. You cannot go wrong with a second set of travel cables that is always in your backpack or your suitcase. I have that anyway. I just always do that because I don't never want to get caught short. I, the Once or twice I've been out on the road in my entire career without a charging cable for my phone. It just drives you nuts. Um, ah, quick, quick tip thrown in here in the answer to the question. Go to the front desk of the hotel and say, hey, uh, do you have a spare iPhone cable? More often than not, they've got a drawer full of the damn things that, that they've, that they've right. pulled laugh, out, they've, of, of rooms. out of rooms over the yeah. years. That, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, oh, I left, I left the charging cable here last week. Oh, here you go. That's it. Is it was it a white cable about six feet long? That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I see. I, so, I bet you could even 
ask for an Apple Watch charger and they would have one. But they, I'm sure they would. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind anymore yeah. that, you know, those things are so prolifically lost and that the hotel is bound to have some. So, uh, <laughs> prolifically lost. That's right. Yeah. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but it's oh so right in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> it, I communicated the point, whether or not it's grammatically correct, I communicated there. Um so, yeah, extra cables, always a good idea to have in your bag. And then I, I did do some looking around on Amazon again, and, and I agree. Every one of them has some negative reviews on it. I, I don't think you can sell 10,000 units and not have somebody cheesed at what you've sold them. But there's a Lysen, L-I-S-E-N, 3-in-1 for Apple devices. And uh, I, I meant to have that link up. Sorry, Dave. And, and that, I got it. Oh, you I got, got it. You. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so it looks like it does the job, and it looks like it's uh, priced right. Of course, it's not coming up right there. No, Amazon, uh, the internet's yeah. broken this morning. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to break the internet. It's okay. It, it, it's normally uh, $65, $66 on sale right now as we record this for uh, $40. Plus a ten dollar coupon, Pete. So you get it for thirty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Down to even down to thirty. So um, it looks robust enough that that it will probably work. Again, I hesitate to say cool stuff found now that uh, Uh, it had that Artops charger and it and it just was frustrating that uh, it wasn't. And and Dave, you know, we talked briefly in the pre-show about well, was it the was it the O Snap? But I have not had any issues with my O Snap on any other Qi charger. Yep. Now, this one so. you found from Lyson, Leeson, whatever it's called, looks interesting for a travel charger. I, and I always travel with something like this. I don't have this particular yeah. one. I have this uh, Anchor 3-in-1 Cube that I sometimes will travel with that does the same kind of thing. It, it, it you know, it, it'll, it'll charge everything. But like you, man, I, I make sure that I have cables to charge everything. And some of that is just because I, I, it sucks at home when I am, know I'm going to spend my day on the other side of the driveway at my office. It sucks at home when I wake up and my phone hasn't charged, but it's certainly manageable because I can plug it in at my office. Waking up in a hotel, especially when I know that I'm either, you know, going to go like next week, you know, out all day. Take on the see, day. Yes. Yeah. But or even, you know, on vacation or whatever, like we rely on our phones so much that I just can't bring myself to risk the uh, waking up with an uncharged phone because it decided, oh, I got too hot on the charger. So I'm just going to, you know, chill out or whatever. It's it the amount of convenience that I get for the four nights that I'm away with my MagSafe thing, like it's no, I, I just plug it in and I'm fine. And the nice part is cables weigh a whole lot less than MagSafe travel yeah, chargers. They <laughs> like, so, yeah, they do. I, you know, I don't know. I like, I always bring one of these things with me cause I love the idea of it. Like, Oh, I can set up my hotel room and it's just like home and I can chill and like right. all that. However, I, Anytime I want to charge, I want it on a cable, either because of what I said, I want to wake up with it fully charged, or I know I've got 20 minutes while I'm in the room to like, you know, chill before I got to head out for the evening's events. And I'm going to use a cable there too, because it's going to charge faster on a cable. Right. So here's where you might be able to save some travel space. Uh, I'll add to this. Um, 
you guys have probably seen these anchor prime gallium nitride wall chargers. They have them up to like 67 watts. So I don't know what Mac he has or she has, but if you have one of the newer M series, you know, MacBook airs or something like that, you can get 67 watt charger, super tiny folds up has three ports. So you can charge anything on it from a single tiny charger. And then you could potentially swap that out for your big, mac wall charger because i don't know if you're like me but like i'm working during the day i have my mac plugged in my devices are charged i'm usually charging the devices at night and have the mac shut down right so you can working on your mac during the day get 67 watts from a teeny tiny charger through your USB-C, and then at night plug all three of your cables in for your iphone your apple watch your airpods and charge those up overnight all in the same little tiny wall charger so you don't have to carry your big brick. You don't. You don't need all the things. Cable. You can. You can mix and match. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I probably uh, now I need to make it a cool stuff found. I bought this at Beck's Best Buy uh, last time. I forgot my home charger when I before I started carrying two chargers on the road, and I have this brick that I bought at Best Buy, and it has a USB C and two USB A's, mm. and it's I want to say it's like eighty eighty five watts, something like that, and that's. That stays in my bag. That's my laptop charger on the road. Yeah, right. And, right. Yep. And then I will I will say I do take an Anker. I don't travel as much as you guys, but I take one of this, this, this the cheap Anker. It's not foldable, but it's a three in one that I have by my bedside. You know, it, it it's hard plastic and it's at the iPhone things at a specific angle. Can't fold it flat. But what I do is when I pack, I have everything stacked up and I have the the space between, you know, my pants and shorts and my t-shirts. And I just slide that in diagonally and it sits flat right at the top of my bag. So it doesn't fold flat, but I just use the the space around my clothes to make it flat, uh, basically. Yep. I like it. And that thing always, that thing always works. It's actually really good. And I think it's one of their cheaper chargers. I think you can probably get older versions for like 20, 30 bucks. I like it. I forget okay. what it's called. It's like that Anchor 3 and it's got a terrible name. Anchor yeah. 3 in 1. Yeah. You know, whatever. Charger. Yeah. Band for iPhone. <laughs> Sweet. Well, and I've actually found it. Like I uh I found one on Best Buy that uh it's actually now it's an insignia 100 watt four port USB USB-C and USB-A. Uh I'm trying to get it to the <laughs> trying to share it. I'm yep. trying to share it. Gosh. Don't worry about it. We can share it later. Okay. We'll record yeah, the show now. The show notes. That's we'll, where I need we'll to put, put it, it not show on notes. the screen. That's right. Yeah. MacGeekCub.com. And uh, yeah. And you can find yeah. this particular episode either at mgg.fm slash 1017 or in your email box if you go sign up for the mailing list, which is primarily used just to send you those, the show notes every week. So yeah, yeah fun. All right. Uh, what is now? You want to take us to Mark, Pete? Uh, I do, I do. But uh, I got a vamp. Well, I find Mark because I was uh. looking. For, <laughs> I was looking for the link instead of where I was supposed to be. You know, that's okay. We were we playing with ChatGPT to make an image for what is obviously, at least at this moment in time, the r- running contender for a show title, which is prolifically lost. So yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. there we are, and I am prolifically lost at the moment. But I'm That's, back. It's, it's a theme. It's a theme. 
Oh, man. Uh, so Mark writes in and says, uh, Pobox is an email redirection service that I've been using for decades. I'd not heard of this. So there's a cool stuff found while you're yep. at it. Originally, because I was a postmaster for a software house that was expanding globally, and I needed to be able to give people one email and then change the back end email as often as I needed for testing, etc. So how do I tell Mac Mail to send as send as my pull box email and the only options I can find are in the main account emails. And he has a second question says, my wife is happy for me to start helping her clean up her 40,000 inbox items. Oh, what a slacker. I got to lease that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> no, I'm not no. going that up, up there, but wow. Uh, yeah. So she's got a, I'm going to need to breathe for a second, there. Pete. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Continue, please. Yeah, yeah. So said one thing she would like me to do is an auto move, uh, incoming to uh, incoming email to a folder. All good. But sh then she would like a email or mails in that folder to auto delete after a set number of days. No idea how to do that. Do you have any suggestions? And I bet we do. I, I would guess that we do. Uh, <laughs> I, I will. So, uh, yeah, PO box or PO box is, is the, the name I always kind of had in my head is yeah one of these mail forwarding sort of services. So if you want Apple mail, to be able to send as that via your Gmail sort of construct, uh, the first thing you need to do is go into the web interface for Gmail, go to settings and accounts. Uh, it's actually settings and then accounts and import. That's just the name of it. Uh, and click the button that says add another email address. This will walk you through a process which essentially asks you for the email address and then the SMTP credentials to send through that email address. The end result of this is that in the Gmail web interface, you can choose another email address that's not a Gmail address as your from address and, and send as that. But they need to make sure it's yours first. And then also they need the credentials to send through it. Now, if P.O. Box or whatever your provider is, if you're listening, has smtp credentials for you to use then you could put those in and everything's going to be fine lots of providers uh, forwarding only providers are just that forwarding only they don't have outbound mail they just take inbound mail and they don't have smtp credentials so i'm going to teach you a trick that has worked for several decades uh, with gmail and i don't think will ever break at least i have my fingers crossed what you do is you put in when it asks you for the smtp server you put in smtp dot gmail dot com and then when it asks you for the credentials you put in the credentials of that gmail account that you're adding this to i know it seems like a circular thing it is but it's a hack that works <laughs> and it works great so once you get that in there test it from the web interface make sure you can choose the from address and send and all that stuff at this point you have a couple of options number one is you could use the gmail app uh, you know, Apple, it turns out, allows third-party apps in the store now. And so you can go find the Gmail app in the store and run that, and it will inherit all of the extra addresses that you have added to your, uh, to, you know, to your Gmail account. Apple Mail is capable of doing this. However, it does not inherit the addresses from a Gmail account. In fact, it doesn't even let you add a new from address to a Gmail account. So you have to create a new 
mail account on your Mac that is an IMAP mail account and log that into Gmail with imap.gmail.com. So just don't click the Google box. You got to go through and set it up as an IMAP account because then it will act the same. But it allows Apple Mail will allow you to then go into uh, the settings and accounts and on your Gmail account or your new IMAP account that happens to point to Gmail, you get to add more from addresses. It will attempt to send those through your Gmail account, which is why you have to do the first step to get all that set up and allow that to happen. If you just randomly put an address in there and try to send it through Gmail that it doesn't already know about, it's going to push it away. So that's that. But it is, yeah, yeah, that adding of the, the Gmail SMTP to itself is the reason it dawned on me to try that is you used to just be able to choose. Do you want to use external SMTP or should we just send it from the Google mail servers? Are you okay with that? And then they stopped allowing that on new accounts, but they like, they didn't change it on old ones. I'm like, well, can I just type in that, that data? And it's like, yep, no problem. All good. Works. It works. Yep. Yeah. So, so, that's the first part of the question. Do we have anything to talk about that before we oh, I talk about to, auto-deleting? I just want to clear something up. So I okay. called it Poe Box. You called it P.O. Box. But I have a reason. I lived in Louisiana for a lot of years, and I could go for a shrimp Poe Boy right now. So I understand. I, just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that that's where that was coming I'm just, from. That's how I read it. It didn't even occur to me that it was P.O. Box. Of it course. It Poe Box. It's Poe yeah. Box. Just like a Poe Boy. Just changed <laughs> yeah. the last letter. Don't know why they yeah. changed the letter. Poe Boy is just fine as it is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Auto-deleting messages in mail is an interesting little thing. It is doable with Apple script, or at least chat GPT tells me that it is. I believe it largely because I know that mail is scriptable. I've done things like this in mail with scripts and in reading the script that chat GPT sort of wrote for me, it, it fits. You might need to do a little tweaking to it uh, as you test it, but I, I put a link to my chat GPT session where I had it create this script for me and you can copy the script right out of there and it'll even kind of teach you how to, uh, you know, how to do these things. But, um, but I think that would be the, I would use Apple script to delete the, the mail. I don't, what, what about you guys? (laughs) I I'll jump in. I'm sorry. I I thought that anything in your out or in your trash bin automatically deleted after a certain amount of time. Anyway, Trash, was, yes, but he's talking yes. about moving his wife's new mail into just another box, not a trash gotcha. box. And yeah. then having that go. Correct. If, if, if not read in so many days. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yep. Well, yeah. So I don't, <laughs> I don't ever delete mail. I am an inbox zero person, so my inbox always has nothing in it, but I move everything to folders and just let it build yeah. up. Hey, same. Yeah, I don't I don't delete anything. I did recently I, I, I don't know if I talked about this on the show. I I would always you know, I only have a certain amount of storage on my mail accounts because like on the servers. And so I was archiving stuff to on my Mac, on my one main Mac. And it dawned on me that, well, this is only on one computer. Is it backed up? Yes, of course. But it's only on one computer. And that at times is a pain in the neck. Like when I'm traveling, if I want to look at something that's more than like two years old, which seems to happen more often than 
than you would think. Yeah. Uh, I have to like, you know, VPN into my home network and screen share my one Mac that has acts, you know, has that data. So I set up a mail server on my Synology, which I don't recommend ever running your own mail server again, but I've broken that rule. Uh, and I use it I, mainly, I set it up a couple of years ago just to test, y- y- you know, to see what that was like. Cause somebody, I think one of you folks was, was asking about that. So I set it up and it lives and it has a domain that no one knows about. And I, I do get some mailing address, you know, mailing lists into it so I can make sure it actually works. And it does. Uh, but it hit me. It was like, wait, I have uh, an IMAP account on a server that I own and I get to pay for the storage on. I don't have to like rent the storage from Google or Fastmail or anybody. And so I archive everything to that now and it works great. So, I, you know, so that's interesting. I know. Yeah. Yeah. When I had that thought, I think I had it like while we were having a discussion on the show last year and it was like, oh, wait a minute. There's there's an answer here. So I don't know. I I used to use um, Mail Steward. Yeah. For handling my archives. This is a this is a Mac app uh, that you can buy and it basically runs an index on your inboxes, whatever, whatever mailboxes you want to point at it. Um, and stores everything in a SQLite or MySQL database and makes it searchable, indexable. And also, if, because it's a MySQLite database, it is a file that lives on your Mac, and I used to just back that up. Yeah. And so I would have that archive all my emails. I think Infor Borton told me about this decades ago, and I had used it for years and years and years. I subsequently stopped. I'm not really sure why, but... That, that was a great way to have a local backup of all of my email that I knew was safe no matter what. Yeah, and 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 you liked the user interface of it. I I've been aware of MailStored for a long time, but I've I've just never. It's made very it. nerdy. Okay, it's very nerdy. Okay, but it doesn't require setting up your own mail server, which is even yeah, more also nerdy. nerdy. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. I I wonder though. I know MailStored the the way from what i remember of it please correct me if i'm wrong you kind of set up rules for what you want it to archive off right mm-hmm. yep. so, so that could solve mark's wife's problem of wanting to archive off things that are of a certain age and at least get it out of her mailbox and then you know you could go in and delete it from mail steward if you want like you know later but correct. at least it gets it out of there well, and what's nice about the mail steward again, it stores it in a database and then I think it has the ability to export back out to, you know, um, mbox file. And so you could restore stuff like right. it, it had a lot of really great features. It is not a simple interface to deal with. It's not too bad, but, sure. you know, it is a little bit techy. I dirty. will be, I will be honest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. I, I actually thought of a, another way to do this and I, I think it, it may be more difficult than, uh, or, or less efficient, but using Hazel. And I was thinking, well, you can export mail to a folder on your Mac and then let Hazel kill it after a certain oh. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but that then allows you, you could back up that mail using any number of, you know, carbon copy cloner or time machine or any of those would, would grab those emails and then the mail client isn't holding on to them. But that, 
that may be adding a level of complexity that's not worth it, or it may work out well. I know every other solution we've mentioned is pretty nerdy, Pete. So yeah, <laughs> like it's there's there's mail's just just a nerdy thing. Sorry, no, yeah, you're right. Oh, the database is a it's a goopy mess. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, again, if you've got questions, let us know. Feedback at macgeekgab.com. Well, it's CES coverage week, and I want to take a second and thank one of our CES coverage sponsors, Mac Updater. Mac Updater is one of my favorite apps. I have it uh, running on my Macs, all of my Macs, all of the time, so that I know when there's new software updates, because there's nothing worse than going to launch an app that I only use maybe once every month or two, and finding at that moment, the moment I launch it, that it's got an update. And I probably want the update, but I really don't want it in that moment. I already wanted it. Well, the good news, that's what Mac Updater does for me. It scans my apps, tells me when there's an update, and then really makes the process of updating so simple. I just select the apps that I want to update, or I can just tell it to quick select the ones that it thinks I should select, and it's almost always right. And then I tell it, go, and it goes and installs everything and updates it. I can see release notes in there and it maintains backup copies of a lot of the apps so that if something with an update doesn't go so well, I've got the backup there. It's amazing. You got to go check this out and you can go to corecode.io slash MGG to test it all out. Go there, corecode.io slash MGG and our thanks to the folks at Corecode Make Mac Updater for sponsoring our CES coverage this week. All right, all right. Uh, well, st- oh, it, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we're we're, we're going to jump to Dan here. Here, Pete. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Dan says I currently have three UPSs: one on my Mac, one uh, my TiVo, and my cable box, which is my modem and router. No idea why, but we frequently get quick dips in power, which would cause these devices to restart. Yep, it happens. It says, I've had no problems since I put the UPS in. Great, it's doing its job. My issue is that I buy replacement batteries on Amazon for about $37, and they only last about two years. I'm wondering if it's better to keep buying the batteries or if I should try another UPS. <laughs> Thoughts yep. on this, Adam? Great, great question. Uh, well, first, I have to uh, throw this out and say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> because I know that I should have UPSs on everything, and I do not have UPSs. I have one UPS. It was provided by my company for my work computer. So it does sit here, and when my Mac's connected to it, it's all connected to everything. So it's kind of part of my setup now, but it was provided by work. And I actually had this exact situation happen where... Uh, I, it was an old UPS when I got it. And then when we went remote and I ended up moving out here, it eventually, the battery died, right? I don't know how old that battery was. Sure, it happens. Yeah. Um, and so I just requested a new UPS from my company and they happily sent, sent me one, which is great. So they sent me a brand new one. And it was only when I was taking the other one down that I realized, oh, these things, the batteries, you can just swap them out really easy. There's a little door and battery pops in there. And it's like, I wonder why they didn't just give me a new battery. Probably cheaper. But I also did some research at that time, too. And so I think, just like he mentioned, uh, the big dilemma I had with and have with batteries in general, this is batteries for anything, right, is you can find the really, really cheap ones 
right? That don't come from the manufacturer. They're not the OEM one. They're coming out of some factory out of China somewhere. And it seems like a really, really good deal. But I don't know the quality. I don't know, you know, these sorts of things. And it's another reason why, you know, people complain about Apple and the cost of their battery replacements and stuff like that. There is a difference in batteries. There's huge differences in batteries. And how would you know what brand is good, what brand isn't bad, isn't. And if you go with the manufacturer's battery, a lot of times it might end up being as much or very close to just a brand new UPS. So I would tend to probably fall on the line of have the UPS, once the battery dies, get a new one. It's going to have newer features. It's going to have newer technology. If the price isn't that different than replacing the battery. So I think it, for me, it would come down to how much is that replacement battery from the OEM versus just buying a new UPS? That, that, that is the question I ask every time. And it, my, my, uh, my rule of thumb is if the cost of the battery is more than 50% of the replacement cost of the UPS, I replace the UPS. And the reason for that is I know that it's possible for UPSs to, uh, for their, their surge protecting capabilities to diminish over time. I, and it's impossible, at least for me at home to be able to tell whether that has happened yet. Like they say that, you know, they're good for X number of surges after which point they might start to not be quite as great about, cause they, you know, like they are taking sometimes massive hits from like lightning and those sorts of things. Like that's, <laughs> that's their job. And so I, like I said, I use the 50% rule. I probably wind up replacing the battery once on each UPS. And then it seems like the replacement battery price goes up as the UPS gets older, probably supply demand, you know, that whole thing. So yeah, I, I, I follow the same rule and I have, been burned by the wow that battery's you know uh super inexpensive or as i like to say cheap and worth it so <laughs> yeah. yeah right yep. well here's the thing my observation about ups is people don't have them that should have them and the reason <laughs> is they're they're not sexy you no. spend a lot of money for something yes. that that doesn't really do much for you it's doing a lot for you but just you know it isn't a configurable router. It isn't a cool new phone. It isn't in a powerful laptop. It's a piece of gear that sits there and protects you, but it's just not exciting. No, it's not. You plug it in and, and forget about it. Yeah. 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 And so uh, if you don't have one, I highly recommend just for the surge protection alone on the darn things, well, but to prevent the brownout it's, issues. Yeah. And, it's the brownouts for me. Yeah. yeah. It's It's the backup. It's the backup thing, right? I'm a huge backup person and I'm only a huge backup person now because I had an incident where we lost a lot of valuable data. And from that point forward, <laughs> I learned my lesson. So sometimes you just yeah. have to be taught the hard lesson and that might be the case with a UPS. Yeah, right. I just need to do it. I just need to bite the bullet and I just haven't wanted to spend the time or deal with it and I just haven't done it. And again, don't be like me. I know it's wrong. Check I know your... the risks I'm taking and I'm taking it knowingly so yeah. hear that like if you want to be like me and take the risk knowingly i'm going to get burned one day yeah. and then i'm going to be really sad and then i will have a ups on everything yeah though <laughs> i i learned the lesson from my clients when i was in austin 
uh, because I watched their computers blow up. Like we would have a lightning storm one night and our voicemail would be full the next morning because we ran a, a computer, you know, on-site computer repair shop called Computer Nerds. Um, and so I, I didn't have to learn that lesson the hard way. I have unfortunately learned that lesson the hard way um, since then. But it's not, but like I've had UPSs. Now, though, I put them on every piece of electronic gear that I have. And there's one, again, not a sexy benefit. It's the long-term benefit. But there's one thing that I've noticed, and that's that my electronics last longer than most people's comparable electronics do. TVs, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, like audio gear that I have, all of that stuff. And one of the features that most UPSs have just as a matter of course is power conditioning. Like they are keeping the voltage steady that, you know, if there's a dip in the circuit, they are, the battery is there to, to add it back in to compensate. And of course it limits it on the top end too. With electronics getting, you know, less and less expensive, more and more bulk manufacturing, those transformers in the power supplies for them are a, a point of cost savings for many manufacturers and they're cheap. And so babying those transformers, it turns out has been a good thing for me in general. Now, do I have a control group where I can specifically say I get an extra five years? No, but it sure seems like that. Um, so I'm going to knock on some makes wood. Sense. One second. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, that literally, uh, that literally makes sense, right? You're yeah. protecting the circuitry in your devices from yeah. abuse and doing it constantly. So yes, it, it follows. It, it's I mean, consistent. the logic follows. The logic follows. Yeah. yeah. Even if, even if I might be wrong, that's right. <laughs> Anecdotally, you're right, Dave. I, I feel <laughs> yep. right, Pete. And yeah. I, I, I think when, I, when, when one is prolifically lost, Feeling unlost is the most important thing. Absolutely. I, I think so. You want to take us to Ron, Adam? Yeah. Ron says he has a weirdo, which is interesting, but he is uh, <laughs> using busy Cal and calendar and getting an odd message lately. It tells him your event couldn't be refreshed. There's inf- insufficient storage space for a specific meeting. I don't want to out him on his meeting. In a specific, it looks like calendar and in iCloud. So it's this little dialogue that pops up and he says he sees it in BusyCal and it's when he's trying to put a new event in and he's done some Googling, looked around, um, you know, done all the usual stuff of updating and, and making sure he's got adequate local storage. He's got two terabytes in his iCloud with plenty of extra memory on his computer and is just baffled. Um, calendar and iCloud.com isn't any help. And the iCloud app is just showing these warnings. So he wants to know about that. And then he also asks about bulk deleting old events. He says, I can't find a way to accomplish this. I want to, you know, again, I think the idea is something's going on with this storage, at least according to this dialogue. And how do we, how do we clear this up? Interesting. See, we've got a theme. We want to delete old mail. We want to delete old uh, calendar events. I mean, I realize that's to deal with the symptom, not necessarily the problem of this one. But uh, but to answer that question, I would do it the same way. I would Apple script calendar uh, to delete old events. And you can absolutely do that. And in fact, 
I went to ChatGPT and had it mock up an Apple script that certainly looks like it would work. And I've linked that from the show notes for the second part of the question. So if you want to bulk delete old events, Apple script calendar is, you know, Apple's calendar app is scriptable and you can do that. Um, yeah, this error message that you read, he says he's getting the same thing in both busy Cal and calendar. The, the screenshot he sent us is from, you know, Apple's calendar calendar. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, this thing about insufficient storage space tells me that this is more about an issue on his Mac locally than it is on iCloud. And in fact, he confirmed that he's not running out of storage space in iCloud. Calendar calendar events don't generally take up a lot of storage space. They're just usually just text. You can add lots of text to them. You can also add images to calendar events. I don't know if you knew that, but you can. And so that sometimes will get you there. Um, But, uh, but I, you know, I, so I would look, I would do the obvious thing and look and just make sure that your Mac isn't like, you know, running close to its storage limits. I feel like you would, see other warning signs of this other than your calendar telling you, <laughs> you know, I, I don't right. have four <laughs> extra bytes. We're full. We're full, you know, um, right. but it, which, but it, you know, when an app thinks it can't write to something, the error message is sometimes based upon an assumption that the developer or developers made. And so when I see this, there is insufficient storage space think okay well is it truly looking at the amount of storage space and calculating that there isn't enough to do this or is it trying to write to it and getting an error that says i can't write to this file and it's assuming that because it's an open calendar the only reason you could not write to that file is if there's not room to write to it but there might be other reasons you might not be able to write to that file like permissions issues or you know is the file corrupt so that's the the i i would first check to make sure that you aren't out of storage space and then i would start looking at permissions and one of the easiest things to do to sort of test all of these at once would be to export the events in that calendar to you can you know in in calendar you can just export them to a file and then import them into a new calendar on iCloud so that you've essentially duplicated your calendar, but you've created a brand new file for that calendar. Does it all just work there? If so, okay, we had some corruption, whatever, just delete the, the, you know, now duplicate slash original calendar and and you're good to go. I don't know. That's, that's where my brain goes in the, a lot of times one go and fix those permissions. Would that be a path worth trying? It would. Yeah, fair. So I believe that they are in uh, home library calendars is where that stuff is stored. And I I feel confident saying that I'm looking on this Mac in the studio in home library calendars. I never use the Apple calendar app. I only use BusyCal. However, I do sync with my iCloud calendar and I know that my Mac sort of keeps that up to date regardless. If I happen to launch calendar, all my stuff's there and I can see that six minutes ago, there were eight files in my home library calendars folder that were updated. So I feel like this might be the, um, the, the right place to look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then 
the, the other thing I was I was going to ask, and you said, you know, right? How much how much does a, a given event take up? But deleting old events, I I wouldn't do it because it, it's a, a few bytes at the at most on most events. And I've, uh, at least for me, I found it necessary, for instance, when I have to do my medical for the FAA, I have to tell them when I went to visit a given doctor. And I can always look back and see over the years when a given doctor's appointment was. And yep. So I find it a great historical record to go, oh, yeah, I was at this place on that date. I I wouldn't I I mean we just said I just you know admitted that I never delete mail either but yeah. um I would I I've I've never deleted a calendar event I can go all the way back to 1993 when I first started using now up to date um because that yeah. was my first digital calendar wow yeah I know I'm crazy though like so it you know where were you on July 12 1993 Dave <laughs> wait wait yeah. say say yeah Adam what were you saying I said I don't I don't delete anything in calendar either i just i've always just let it do whatever it does and don't yeah. worry about it don't worry about it yeah it's yeah. not the thing that's going to eat up all your storage on icloud on your mac on any of that you you yeah. if you get to that point you've it's probably You're time man. to get more storage <laughs> like yeah yeah no, i mean I, I i realize you know we're making some assumptions here based on our own experiences but sure. um I'd be curious if somebody's got like, oh no, I have to delete calendar events because you know, I'd be curious, you know, because I'm just interested in uh, in those kinds of things. All right, as you know, it is CES week, and I want to take a minute to thank Collide, one of our CES sponsors, for our coverage here. Look, when you go through airport security, like we did to get to Vegas. There's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag, right? The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off, and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. You got to check this out. Visit collide.com slash MGG to watch a demo and see how it all works. Again, that's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. And our thanks to Collide for sponsoring all our CES coverage this week. All right, let's do some cool stuff found before we come back from CES with a bunch of cool stuff found. Yep. Uh, (laughs) In in fact, I think we're probably going to release a couple of shorter episodes from our, uh, from CES. Pete, I, I, I called them... Because last year we had this great suite where the you know, John was out there with us actually last year. Yeah. And, and we had this great suite where we had, you know, our rooms to sleep in. But we had a living room where we could congregate and like do work together. And I have suck been suck at pool. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I had it, like I had been in a suite like this before there. It's called the hospitality suite. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's it, it, here's the weird part. It's the same price for this hospitality suite with two bedrooms and a living room that it is to buy two king bed rooms. And so it's like, well, 
That's like easy math to me. I'll take the living room. Yeah, of course. Well, I'd always had like a regular table with chairs. This time or last year, we got there and walked in the room and it was quite impressive to see there was a pool table in the middle of our room. So sure, we enjoyed some tequila one night and, and, and played some pool, but it meant we didn't have a table to like record or do work at. This year, I uh, sent our friends at the Mirage a uh, request that they give us a table with chairs instead of a table with balls. So, yes. you know, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Exactly. And for what it's worth, folks, know that tequila did not improve our pool game. <laughs> no, no, that is correct. <laughs> yes, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, so hopefully we will be releasing. The plan is to release a couple of episodes, you know, mini episodes with things yeah. that, that kind of we find. Uh, if you remember back in the, you know, uh, the, the, the pre-sale days when uh, when we had TMO, we would do a takeover of uh, daily observations one or two days of CES and and use that as our vehicle to share our like cool stuff found of the day. We don't have that anymore, A, because I, I'm no longer involved in the Mac Observer, and B, because that show no longer exists, which is which is a shame. I think that was a fantastic show. I was really proud of what we created there. But anyway, uh, not my decision to make, and uh, and it's fine. But uh, so, but we can still do it, and we just release it to this feed. Like it's all good. Nothing That'd really changed, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll have some good, some cool. I'm stuff. looking forward to it. Yeah. For now, we have Matt, uh, who shares that there was actually somebody in our Discord that asked, "I'm looking for a place to jot down information. I usually default to paper and pen, but I'm wondering if there is a Scratchpad type app." Uh, that I can use so that I can jot down notes on my computer. And Matt in our Discord answered this saying, well, without knowing more specifics, I can recommend the Mac app Unclutter at unclutterapp.com. It's mostly invisible until you need it. When you do, you just swipe down using your mouse or your trackpad and a little shelf drops into view from the top of your screen, ready to take your text-based notes. It's very straightforward and uh, additional features include clipboard history and files, uh, a shelf like the files that you can just pull down and and get to like things that you might actually put on your desktop, but you want to get to quickly or you want to drag into an app. You drag it to the shelf. It doesn't actually move it anywhere. And then you can drag it into a mail message. I Actually, I need to revisit on Clutter. I'd forgotten about that feature of this app. That looks cool. Yeah, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. And the the price is uh, 20 bucks. Okay, 20 bucks. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, talk a way to keep your desktop clean and yet still have it all in one place. And still have it all where you need it. Yeah. yeah very cool. All right. Yeah, thank you for that, Matt. I, I I'm sure we've talked about unclutter on the show before, but I forgot about it. Uh, so, I I know we it, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the next little app in Cool Stuff Found comes from Pharmacist Foster. So we've got Pilot Pete, and then we've got Pharmacist Foster, and I like the the, the, the wordplay there. The alliteration uh, there? Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't spell it with an F, though. That's the funny part, right? <laughs> um, the uh, It's called Shortcut Detective, and he uses it to suss out keyboard shortcuts. He was trying to... He found it when he was trying to use a keyboard shortcut that he knew existed in an app 
and it didn't work. He could go to the menu and choose the option and that would work. And it even showed the little shortcut next to it, but it wouldn't work. He, uh, shortcut detective, which is from irradiated software. And I believe is free. I believe. Yep. Uh, figures out which app is seeing and intercepting, if you will, any given keyboard shortcut. And he was able to narrow it down to, you know, some third party app that he had installed years ago that was intercepting that one keyboard shortcut. So he just went in and changed it. But shortcut detective allows you to know, and that's pretty cool. So that's why it's part of cool stuff. Yeah. Have you ever used shortcut detective, Adam? Sorry, I'm trying to stay muted because it is the, uh, First Friday of the month, uh-huh. and they are testing the tornado sirens. I don't know oh, if I hear it. Are oh, yeah, that or not. I hear that. Oh, yeah, yeah it's very close to my house. Yeah, so, no, I've never used this app, but it sounds super handy because I've run into this problem where you have a conflict with some shortcut that you're used to using. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. What were you gonna say, Pete? Sorry. Well, um, it, it looks like it all. Co- it looks like it also has the ability to block uh, a, a given global keyboard shortcut. Is that what I'm reading on there in the uh, more yeah, control yeah. checkout? Oh, short stop, which can block global hotkeys. Yes. There's all kinds of, of great little apps on the uh, irradiated software site. So, uh, yeah, yeah, go check them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Short stop can do that. And that, I, that's not from them, I don't think. I think that's from a different oh, company okay. called Short Stop. Yeah, but we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too. Why not? That's, that's what we do. Huh? Interesting. Short Stop. All right. Cool. I, yeah, I, I love all these. Like these single purpose apps are, uh, they can be so handy. So, yep. Uh. Dom has our next cool stuff found, and it is related to our discussion about smart home and specifically garage doors that we had last week. He says one thing worth considering to uh, solve your garage door opener, your smart garage door opener problems or smart that became dumb garage door opener problems is by using a switch bot bot to use any brand of garage door opener with HomeKit, whether it's smart or not. All you need is a garage door that has a remote control, which is likely all of them. The SwitchBot bot can be used to physically activate the appropriate remote button via HomeKit or Siri with no extra software apps, HomeBridge, or anything else. It doesn't care about brands, makes, or models. No, that's true. And if you change your garage door opener, then nothing needs to change in your HomeKit setup. You just put the little SwitchBot bot on. It. This is a push-button bot is essentially what yeah. this thing does. I joked a couple of weeks ago about how I, I think it was, I was either in pre-show maybe in pre-show or during the show that my son was home for like an extended period over, maybe it was Thanksgiving. And, uh, there was one day he, he works about, he works and lives about two hours from here. And he said, yeah, I think on Monday I'm going to have to do a round trip, uh, to, to work because there's this one button that needs to be pushed to reset this device that they write the software for. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, this feels like something that could be scripted. Sure enough, like the switch, I'm going to send him this and say, look, man, for, <laughs> right. for 30 bucks, you could have saved yourself a round trip. The, right. Probably less the, to buy one of these than the fuel that it cost him to go back and forth. But uh, yeah, yeah. 
So that's awesome. And yeah, this really was cool. uh, that, that's a cool piece of gear. I mean, it's uh, for those not watching, uh, looking on the screen, that little button comes up and, and pushes the button, pushes whatever it you physically want, physically pushes the button, and it sticks so, on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Adam. I was just going to say, it reminds me of the, what are those things called? The useless device? Yes. You know, that yes. that people make where, uh, and you could probably use this to make one of those. It's a box, right? And it has a switch on it and you flip the switch and then a, uh, uh, another bot comes out and then flips the switch the other way. Right? Yes. The yes. useless machine. The, yeah. But useless, this one but it, isn't useless. No, <laughs> that's right. That's right. We will put, but we will put a link to the useless machine. Yeah. But, but this could be the ingredients in creating a useless machine. That's right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Push the buttons back. You could do something with an, a, a Raspberry Pi or a, a Arduino or something in yeah. this thing probably and create a, a wireless useless machine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love it. That's great. I'm going to, and it looks like it can stick onto things on the, on their website. They have it on like a light switch, but they've also got it on your coffee machine. Like, so it's, it's versatile. I don't even know that you would need a remote control for your garage. If I was going to use one of these things and let's be very clear, I may be getting one of these things to use for my garage doors. This might be the simplest solution that anybody's come up with is I would just stick it on the opener, like on the wall in the garage, the hardwired yep. opener in the garage. I see, it seems like it would work at least for the ones I have. Uh, it seems like it sure. would work for that. And then geofence it to activate when you get in the area and open your door. And- yeah. I, I don't do that. I, I didn't do the geofence. We have three garage yeah. doors here. So if I'm in my wife's car, I don't need it opening the garage door for my car just cause I'm like, and I did think about, well, I could, do a geofence thing that only happens if I'm connected to CarPlay and and, and I approach the neighborhood. Like it's probably there's probably yeah you'd you know have to I mean. get it pretty granular. Else, you know, it loses briefly loses signal and then finds <laughs> you at home and it opens your garage door. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, <laughs> Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But then, and somebody wrote in and at, at, I can't find it now, but told sure. us that all, all these garage door openers are owned by the same parent company. It's all Chamberlain. Yeah. 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 All the various brands. Yeah. It's like, ah, I'm really upset okay. with them. I hope they're at, at CES. I don't generally go to CES to like meet with vendors and get tech support. You know, I, I go to let them talk, right? Like learn about things. <laughs> but if I see the Chamberlain people, I'm going to ask them why they're going to have a chat. <laughs> why they broke the, Well, like, I want to know why did they reduce the functionality of their devices? Like, I, I just yeah. don't understand how I'm supposed to use this. I will ask them this. If I see them this week, I'll ask them if I don't see them, I will ask them via other channels. Cause it, like I'm curious as to what their intentions are. Like, why can I not use this with my smart home anymore? I bet they're going to say security, but, uh, but then, but like, okay. Hey, it's a BS excuse and they're going to stick with it. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, if I can't use it with my smart home, What's the point of having a smart garage door opener? Yeah, fair I, enough. I like why you why you break it. Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Why you got to be like that? Could. Because yeah. we could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one last one is uh, for me. I mentioned in last week's episode that I was uh, taking my uh, liberating my audiobooks and giving them their freedom so that I could put them wherever I wanted. And I had an Audible book and I wanted to put it in 
my Apple books on my phone so that I could, instead of using the Audible app, I was using the Apple app. So I put it in books on my Mac and expected it to sync via iCloud. And I am still expecting it to sync via iCloud in that I'm waiting, but I'm really, the expectation is, is, is less falling off rapidly. Yeah. Cause <laughs> that's not how it works. Evidently I can put a PDF in the, in, in books and it syncs to all my devices, but audiobooks not so much. So the, the, it was, I could, in theory, I could do it with a wired, or if I had previously set it up a wireless connection to my Mac via the finder, AKA the old iTunes functionality that syncs, you know, over a wire or wirelessly. And I tried to do that and it never started syncing the book. Like it, it showed me the book and I could select it and say, yes, please put that over there on that phone that you see. But it, it, I don't know, whatever was going on, it never did. And so I'm like, gosh, what's going on? So I did some Googling and was reminded of one of my apps that I used a long time ago, which was Walter Pro, which is just built to take media and put it on your phone, even media that Apple says you can't do. Of course, with this one, Apple says I could do it. It just didn't do it. Not only did this do it, it would do all kinds of other media. I, I'm thinking Amazing may have have let me do some version of this too, but uh, but Walter Pro certainly did. So, yeah. Have you ever tried this, Adam, with Amazing? Uh, maybe a long time ago. It does have some functions and features for putting them onto yeah. uh, a d- putting files onto your device. But I think what's great about Walter Pro is it kind of automates everything, right? And yeah. you can set up encoding settings and you can say for this type of file, this is how I want it going over there and on the fly encode it. And it just takes care of everything. And it's like drag and drop simple. Like, yes. Yeah. It set was, it and forget it. I was done. <laughs> like once I saw it was like a YouTube video that I think the title of it was use Walter pro to transfer audiobooks to your iPhone. It was like, right. Of course. Like I didn't even need to watch the video. It's like, ah, Walter pro. And I I had simply had fallen off my radar for years. I'm glad it still exists. And uh, yeah, it it from the moment I saw that video title to being finished with the the project was, you know, probably four minutes, and that included downloading Walter Pro. <laughs> so yeah, 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 it's good stuff. It is good stuff. Either of you guys got anything else to uh, add, or or shall we say that we're done? Uh, one, if we can circle back to one thing Let's on the quick, quick note thing yeah, yeah that yeah. when, when you guys were going through that, it reminded me about, you know, notes as a quick note feature, right? And yes. it's on your iOS device. If you're using a pencil, you can use a gesture where you swipe up from the corner to write a quick note. You can enable that on your Mac with hot corners. <gasps> so if you go into yeah. your system settings, go into desktop and dock, and then go down to the bottom and click on hot corners one of the hot corner options is something called quick note. And once you set that up, when you go to that corner, a little like white thing will peek out from the corner. You click on that and it pop up, pops open a sheet to make a note and notes very quickly. Oh, that's, yeah. I never, obviously Apple thought about this because otherwise the option wouldn't be there in, in hot corners, but I, I never even thought to look there. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. So mine's turned on somehow I've hidden it because it, it says it's there for the bottom right corner for quick note. 
but man, I'm not, I'm not getting it. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, you, can I ask if you have multiple screens on your Mac, Pete? Because if you do, you have to oh. go to the bottom right corner it of is. the virtual oh, the screen. right screen. Yep. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> yep. See, that's why I come here for my tech support, that's, folks. That's one of those tough you things to too. troubleshoot. Because I can't see your setup, <laughs> but I have I have been there before. I have done exactly that, and it's like, yeah. why doesn't it? Oh, yeah. it's over there. Yeah, right. where'd my mouse go? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I still have my mouse. Year. Uh, it was probably a year ago. Yeah. We talked about on the show how you can change. You can use accessibility, Adam, to change uh, the size of your mouse, which most of us uh, sort of have yeah. experienced. But also the color of your mouse cursor. And mine is now like hot purple. And <laughs> I can see it anywhere it is on the screen. It's yep. awesome. Yes. I never Mine's lose. larger and I have it outlined in red. It's black, but I have it outlined yeah, in red. Yeah, there you go. Same thing. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, there's your... I just always use the the wiggle trick. The wiggle trick works for sure. Yeah. And then, but when I do that big. now, I get a big <laughs> hot purple mouse. So. That's right. <laughs> Yupper. Oh, man. Yupper. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Indeed. Time flies when you're having fun, man. It like I, it. like We're at 124, which is long for us, and I feel like we could just go longer, but we have things to do, and, and you have things to do, and we're respectful of your time as well as our own. So we kind of treat you like we treat ourselves, which is, you know, I feel like the, 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 the best thing anybody, any of us can do is, is that. Wasn't there the golden rule about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of our CES sponsors, of course, Collide, CCC Backup, Mac Updater. Follow us on our various socials. We put all of them in our uh, show notes. So you can go there and just click, 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 and follow us and enjoy whatever that might be. I uh, I feel like, you know, we 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 recorded this episode, and uh, before we travel, with this assumption that we're going to be able to travel, and I I I, you know, the superstitious person in me says that that we've we're dancing very close to the edge of taunting the universe. So, oh, yeah. Pete, uh, let us let us make sure that we uh make it to Vegas. And don't get caught. Made up. Lass dich nicht erwischen.